Hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We talk every week about the reality of running property businesses. Simon has a number of buy-to-lets and runs Patma, which is a leading portfolio management software system and a source of property market insights. Stuart runs a portfolio of co-living properties with a six-figure turnover and also has a property investment consultancy. As per usual, just to kick off the show with a couple of reminders. Number one, we are closing any potential applications for the Property Growth Club at the end of this month. So if you are interested, please do send an email to show at thebusinessofproperty.com. That's show at thebusinessofproperty.com. Number two, don't forget to join our email subscriber list, which we are going to get into very, very soon to send out all of the latest sort of insights and information that we've got that we think will be useful to you on your property investment journey. And then finally, something which we think is quite interesting. We're thinking about getting people on the show that have some property challenges, and that could be anyone. And you could be anywhere in your property investing journey. And Simon and I were just thinking about, well, how can we provide value to people? Well, if you've got anything that you think it would be good to get a second opinion or a perspective on a new perspective on something, then again, send us an email to show at thebusinessofproperty.com or reach out to us on Twitter. And we would like to have you on the show. And the only caveat really is that you'd have to talk about your challenge with us on the show as it's live and recorded. And Simon and I will give you our instant feedback as it happens. I, I think it would be, be quite good if we could find find people who are are willing to have a, a bit of a discussion about the challenge as well, but not not just a sort of question and answer, but but actually a, a discussion would be would be something I, I'd really quite like to to look for. Yeah, absolutely. So it'd be more of a conversation. But if you've got challenges and you wouldn't mind sharing it with a wider community, again, send us an email. Show at thebusinessofproperty.com. Just outline your initial question stroke challenge, and we will respond to you. And if it works out, we'll get you on the show. And we're hoping to do quite a few of these. And it's just a reminder, if you've got any other thoughts and ideas, please do let us know on the show. Right. I think that's enough requests for today. There is a show to to get on with and topics to be discussed. And topic which was top of, of my mind, which Simon and I wanted to talk about, was rent repayment orders, which also known as RROs, can sound incredibly boring if you're someone like me and hates an acronym, RROs. But rent repayment order was in the news recently. There was something, and we'll put it in the show notes. It's that the superior landlord, the homeowner, could previously or potentially could previously have to pay the rent repayment order if the intermediary landlord, so the renter-renter, decided they didn't want to or they'd gone out of business or whatever else. And now, since the Supreme Court judgment, it's the case that the superior landlord, so the homeowner, the the landlord, if you like, at the, the top of the chain, cannot be made to pay the rent repayment order if there's an intermediary landlord who who was actually acting as a landlord. So this doesn't work if you're an intermediary agent because you're just receiving rent on behalf of the actual landlord. But if you are an intermediary landlord acting as a landlord who is receiving rent and has a separate contract with the superior landlord, then that intermediary landlord is the only one who's now responsible for the rent repayment order. Yeah, so that is it. So that is essentially it in a in a well-worded nutshell. And my feeling about this, and I responded to this on someone on Twitter, was that, I feel that legally that is the right decision. 
And why do I think that? I think that because as the property owner, you have selected someone to provide that service. And in this scenario, explicitly that service. So as far as you are concerned, you are paying for a service whereby they take all of the elements of renting a property away from you. So you you get the upside without the downside. And you only get that by taking a slight hit on your average rental income or your net rental income, which many people believe is worth it. Now, the alternative view on that is that it then, number one, mitigates landlords, sorry, homeowners from taking responsibility and means that they actually have less of an interest in who they employ to manage their property for them. Yeah, I think there's this sort of if you if you go down the route of the the top landlord, the superior landlord not caring or or maybe being a bit disinterested in being super responsible, then then yes, this allows them to get away with that potentially. So you could either uh, as the 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 homeowner, you could either just appoint a rent to renter and and you don't really care what they're going to get on with because you know nothing's going to come back to you which seems a strange approach to me if you actually want to be able to receive your rent, for example, because if you don't really care about the rent-to-renter in the middle, then surely you've got bigger problems as well. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was a thought that I put forward. So I, my belief was, is, still is, it hasn't changed just because <laughs> I've had a mini debate on Twitter. But my viewpoint on that is that it pushes the, the property owner to increase their due diligence. Now, Number one, for that very reason that you've just talked about is, and every homeowner that I've spoken with, they are very conscious that they don't want to give their property to to somebody that could theoretically just run their property into the ground, pay them no money, and then disappear into the night. So I think every homeowner has that concern when you're going to run this, if you're going to use this service. So I believe that that what that means is by by taking the superior landlord away, they have to increase their due diligence for all of the reasons we've just said. And because my belief is that most people want to do it morally and ethically correctly. I'm not sure it increases their likelihood or their their need for due diligence. So I'm I'm not sure I agree with you on that point. I, I think if you're a responsible homeowner, responsible top of the chain landlord in this case, then then I think you, you would want to be doing plenty of due diligence and making sure that that things are correct and your chosen rent to renter is responsible and will be staying there to, to keep paying your rent and to make sure the licenses are in place so you don't suffer a rent repayment order in the first place. And should that actually happen ever through mistake or whatever else, then they would be there to take responsibility for that as well. However, I'm not sure that that's increased or, in fact, changed, really, from this particular court ruling. I can certainly see the case or the idea that the court ruling could allow a superior landlord, a a homeowner, to now think that they need less due diligence on their renter-renter because now they don't need to 
do due diligence on the rent to renter and make sure that they're actually going to pay them the rent, which is obviously the, their sort of probably primary consideration. Previously, they also needed to make sure that they were going to stick around and not leave them with a, a court bill against against them for, if the rent to renter ever disappeared. And but now that's not the case because if the rent to renter disappears, they as superior landlord are, are protected. So, so I, I I can see the argument there that that it's less due diligence now. Yeah, I agree. I do I do see both sides of this equation. But then, and then where I get to on it though is if so so now with that ruling, the the onus is fully on the the company that is subleasing. So the, so in in our sort of parlance, the rent to renter. There are obviously other versions in commercial land. From my perspective, the focus is now on the rent-to-renters, and, and of which I am one, to to subscribe to the the correct ombudsman's and you know such as the, you know property ombudsman, NRLIA, whichever is most relevant and provides the credibility. You know, and I, I think that's naturally happening anyway. I've recently had to spend uh, fifteen hundred pounds on HMO licenses, on that's on two licenses, but those costs are going through the roof and only reducing if you've got various paperwork that says you are a responsible landlord and and also now the HMO license givers are asking if you are with any ombudsman so I think where I think the responsibility is on the homeowner again for those that want to do this morally and ethically correct and I think hopefully that's most people will say well okay if I'm going to pick one I'm going to pick one that I think is reputable and I may well not be liable and that's great because I think the same rules still apply even if even if I'm not now legally responsible just as I am when I get a letting agent to do it and I know we've said that's slightly different because you are still they're, they're just passing through the rents ultimately responsibility will always sit with me because it's because it's my house and whatever happens within that house and you know if I'm picking people that I I just think I don't care, then surely that would just transpire the whole way through, you know. So if if I if I give that to a letting agent, which I I don't think they're that great, but hey, they they're only charging me four percent. That's great. What types of tenant are they going to get in? Probably not. That, do do you know what I mean? So I think there's this whole kind of like mindset around it, which it, which itself just brings everything down. I, I think the if you take it to extreme, I think the the sort of the bad actors are, are now perhaps freer to do worse things. So the, the, the worst case of scenario that I've, I've seen suggested is that you as homeowner set up a rent-to-rent business as an, a limited company. So it's a separate entity, nothing to do with you, honest. And, and then you as your landowner rent your property to your limited company, which then doesn't bother getting any licensing or providing a decent home or doing things up properly and then rent, rents all the rooms out and collects rent and, and while things are going well your limited company pays you rent and that's that's all good and then as soon as uh, an awkward tenant comes along and takes you to court for a rent repayment order because you you're not licensed or you're you're not um, obeying the safety rules or whatever else then oh suddenly your limited company just folds goes away and and that's it and now your limited company's got no money courts can't do anything to it and you a superior landlord you you weren't responsible. No, it was all your it was all that that nasty rent to renting limited company that you've obviously got nothing to do with at all, and it's gone bust anyway. So uh, so now the courts can't do anything. 
Yeah, but but even in that scenario, as the as the property owner, you've still lost out, haven't you? Because in the worst case scenario, you've got tenants that aren't paying, you've got a renter renter that's not paying, and you know unless you're one of the the, the few unencumbered, i.e., no mortgage holders, then you're ultimately you're still you're still losing out. Yeah, you, you're not receiving rent. You're definitely because if your limited company has gone away and you've got to deal with these tenants who are now sat there without having a, a a direct landlord to them to to deal with and things so there's, it's definitely it's not nice and simple and still with rent and things but at the same time a rent repayment order could be thirty thousand pounds so you it might still be worth it yeah i i just i think that we want to pick the best the best companies and and products and services we can and then I think because the responsibility does sit with the rent to renter, okay. But don't doesn't the same rules apply? All the people that we know out there that are shysters, they're multiple shysters. They'll start one company up, dissolve it, start another company up. Because, but I think, but at least this way, if the response, if the responsibility still stat with the superior landlord, the homeowner, then the rent to renter or the, the you know the, the shyster rent to renter. Can, it's just going out there and, and and having a field day. Whereas at least now, at some stage, the owner sits with them. So whether they have got a limited company, you know, they'll get you know whatever struck off, won't be able to run a limited company for five years, as we've seen with a number of the other you know fake gurus out there in property land that they they are being held accountable. And that's probably where I sit with this: is that okay? Accountability should be. To, to sit where accountability should sit, and that is with if someone is offering a product stroke service, and this is what they are offering to do the whole shebang, then surely they should be made responsible for that. Yeah. So now, now this is, I think, where where it could work better in that sense, in so much as if you're if you're a tenant and you want to take your your landlord to court for a rent repayment order, if you've got the choice of a limited company rent renter who might be dodgy and disappear overnight, or your superior landlord who owns the property and obviously has has got a big chunk of money invested and you know who they are because they're on the, the title deeds and whatever else, which one are you going to choose to take to court? Well, you take the superior landlord to court because that's far easier to try and get them to show up and, and hopefully extract a, a big repayment from. Whereas if that's not an option... Then, as you say, you have to go for the intermediary. You have to go for the rent-to-rent company. And as you say, maybe that limited company has dissolved or tried to disappear or whatever. But then, if that's your only option, you you follow down that avenue anyway, and you you find the shareholders and you try to to make them liable. And as you say, if if you can't find them them liable directly for for repaying the rent repayment order then perhaps you could get them struck off from being allowed to be a, a company director and things like that so so yeah I, whereas previously they might have got away with it because the tenant would just go to the superior landlord because that's the easiest way to get the money perhaps now it will actually force better action against dodgy intermediary parties so yes i can certainly see a benefit there or potential benefit there yeah and that's and that's where I sit, I think we, we have to hold those accountable that are the ones creating these businesses. But as per usual, there's always two sides to a conversation and it's good to have these. And given 
that we are running out of time towards the end. But one thing, you know, we talk about rent to rent companies, which generally are on the smaller side. In the in the news recently, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB Bank, which is collapsing as we record this, multi billion dollar business that is failing and is failing the companies which it serves, which may and and has led potentially to companies not being able to meet payroll and therefore impacting tens of thousands of people. So it just shows, you know, linking these two things together that, okay, rent-to-renters, you know, are held up as scapegoats, but any business can operate in a way which maybe isn't in the interest of its cust- the customers it serves or its shareholders. Yeah, I, th- I think the uh, the people in Silicon Valley Bank will probably actually say, well, we, we did we did the right thing. We were being responsible with the funds we were given and storing them for the long term and things. And those pesky customers of ours started demanding their money back. I mean, how dare they? <laughs> and, and wanting it far faster than we ever expected. And, and yeah, it, it sounds like it was a, a fairly old school bank run. But hopefully uh, in a very unique case for Silicon Valley Bank, because they were were holding a lot of business funds rather than personal funds and particularly large quantities as well because there are lots of VC-backed businesses were using Silicon Valley Bank. So they had a lot of funds held that were not covered by the, the US guarantee scheme for, for deposits in banks. Uh, and that meant that, that their customers obviously knew this. And then when they heard that Silicon Valley Bank might be having trouble, they, they wanted to get their money out as quick as possible and, and caused a, a bank run, making, making things 10 times worse. And, and yeah, poor old Silicon Valley Bank is now, uh, now no more, really. It's a, a dangerous place to be if, if people might get scared and, and demand their money back. Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully it'll be isolated to Silicon Valley Bank and we won't see a, a repeat of 2007 and 2008 affecting yeah. the wider market. Which is exactly why we mention it, because it sounds disparate or disconnected to a property podcast. But the, the the questions that are arising, certainly in the media and lots of people's mind, is is this the first domino of the, you know, a replica of the two thousand and eight housing crisis, where we saw a number of large banks getting into trouble. And, you know, for, for many of us, you know, I still remember quite clearly, you know, <laughs> the, the bankers coming out of those offices with boxes with all their belongings in it, you know, the Lehman Brothers coming out. And, you know, that's the first thing we thought here. Well, is this a start? But we're hearing no. But as always, time will tell. And time will tell on this show as well, because we have breached our sort of set limits for this show. And as always, if any of the topics of the show have piqued your interest, hopefully they have, if you're listening thus far, please do reach out to us at Biz of Property on Twitter. And that's at Biz of Property, where we will endeavour to engage as quickly as we can with everyone and just have a conversation because we find these topics quite interesting and assume that if you're still here, that you do too. So please do reach out to us. As always, you can also contact us on show at businessofproperty.com. And other than that, we'll see you in the next episode.